Welcome to Forward. Educate yourself on the new world. The podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance with your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Real chiropractic talk. No rainbows, no unicorns. Start putting in the work. The biggest names in the industry. The legends, the innovators, the up-and-comers. This is the podcast for progressive DCs. So buckle up. Passion is the feeling you have that you would probably do this for free and you can't believe somebody pays you to do it. Join Parker Seminars in the heart of Las Vegas, February 21st through the 23rd for an incredible three days of growth, education, and inspiration. Featured among our 37 speakers are world-renowned evidence-based leaders, Dr. Craig Liebenson and Dr. Stuart McGill. The Parker Seminars Las Vegas has the people shark Damon John and Baseball Hall of Famer Cal Ripken Jr. sharing their unprecedented insights on leadership and success. Please visit parkerseminars.com and use our special promotional code CLV50 to receive $50 off our unheard of Las Vegas single attendee registration price. Register today. Pain Zone, my friends. You want some free samples? Check them out. iPainZone.com. I highly recommend them. I use Pain Zone myself. A company that is dedicated to the professional. You're not going to find these products at a web on a website or on a, at a big box store. They're for you and you only, so you can control the quality of the products you recommend to others. And don't forget to Check us out. Pain Zone sponsors the Pain Zone Finish at the end of the podcast where we summarize what we've learned from today's episode. Enjoy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have a new sponsor. And for their ad, they're going to make me say a whole bunch of big words. So let's give this a shot. Advanced Musculoskeletal Therapies, home of the Miracle Wave. Did you know that shock wave therapy is effective for more than just plantar fasciitis? This cutting-edge technology has delivered impressive success rates in several research studies, including Achilles tendinopathy, lateral epicondylopathy, greater trochanteric pain syndrome, plantar fasciitis, patellar tendinopathy, calcific tendinitis of the shoulder. Once again, Advanced Musculoskeletal Therapies, home of the Miracle Wave, offers acoustic and shockwave technology. We're proud. To, they are proud to support the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance and welcome an opportunity to educate members on how this technology can improve patient outcomes and drive revenue for your practice. If you're interested, and you should be, contact Gerhard, Mary Edna, and the team at AMT at 770-612-8245. That's 770-612-8245. Or by email at info at amttherapies.com to set up a free consult. And thank you guys so much for supporting the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance podcast. Welcome, everybody, to Forward, the podcast of Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. I'm your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe, and I have a special guest. I'm super excited about this episode. Uh, I have Dr. Don Murphy from, he's an author of the book Clinical Reasoning and Spine Pain, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Uh, he is, would you call yourself the spearhead or the figurehead of the primary spine practitioner movement? What, what are you? Are you, did you, you didn't, you didn't invent this, did you? Uh, no, no, I'm um, I'm certainly one of the um, uh, champions and leaders, I guess, of the of the of the uh, the um, movement. 
Uh, the godfather of the PSP movement is Dr. Scott Haldeman. Yeah, uh, I love him. Yeah, he he. This comes from his um, brainchild, and um, but uh, I I published the first um, peer-reviewed paper on the topic a few years ago, and um, you know, kind of thinking about you know, this was an evo- evolution that that developed over the past you know twenty something years, but uh, it got to the point where you know, what is the you know, how, how do we put this together into a formal movement? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I've known Dr. Haldeman for a long time and having discussions with him and uh, him filling my my head with ideas and that, that it all has come together. And, and looking at my my uh, clinical experience, which I can talk about, that I was I was in uh, basically, a private practice. It was a, it was a multi-doctor private practice, but it was private practice, and and I was functioning as a primary spine practitioner in my community, and I just developed that uh, on my own without thinking about uh, the the term primary spine practitioner. I was just doing it because that it, it, it was necessary, it, it was needed, and it worked really well, and it was popular. So um, it, it was it, the 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 development of um, of the codification of the PSP movement came out of what I was already doing for 20 years um, rather than coming up with the, the idea and then, say, then saying to myself, okay, I think I'll do this um, because this was just an evolution of what I was passionate about, what I saw as what was really needed in the, in the healthcare system. And uh, it, it, uh, it, I guess I, I, I can say that I didn't really realize until I really sat down and started uh, um, putting it together that this was a, this was a real thing. This was a uh, organized uh, um, movement that um, it wasn't just, oh, this is what I do in my practice. There, there was more to it than that. It was, it was definable. And it was the same thing. That's the, the same thing that I, the way I came up with the CRISP protocols was the same way that I realized over time that uh, the you know what I do, how I approach patients, and how I organize my clinical reasoning process um, was a a, a, a um, codifiable and um, uh, uh, a, a structure, something that you give structure to, and um, can really uh, um, give it a, a a meaning and a de- definition. What's what's the why? I mean, I, I've read the original paper that you wrote, and I, I I actually explained that supermarket approach to pursuing back care to many many people. Was was that the why? The the why was to eliminate this idea that you are going to shop around for proper care and make a primary entry portal of entry spine practitioner. What was the reason? What made you get up out of your chair and say this has to be done bigger yeah. than just me? Yeah. Uh, well, you know the the. Uh, the supermarket model was from um, Dr. Haldeman and Dr. Yeah, Dijon. I asked him. Yeah, I asked him in a recent podcast where that came from, and uh, he said it's attributed to him. But I, it's also read in your foreword in your book as well. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then I, of course, I attribute that to him in the book. Uh, I didn't. I don't claim to. Good for you. <laughs> but but really, this you know the super the supermarket model was similar to what, what I've talked about before was that uh, it was the way in which for the purpose of the paper, Dr. Haldeman kind of um, put together the mess that he's, he had seen for a long time. And 
uh, and the same thing for me and, and um, coming up with the, the why of why we need a primary spine practitioner movement, uh, it came from the mess that I had seen uh, spine care is. And as I started looking more beyond just my experience in my clinical practice, my clinical life, but also looking at it and the literature, but also looking beyond that, I realized that, you know, there's no other area of healthcare that is the mess that is spine care. You know, every area of healthcare, you know, has its problems and its challenges, but no, no area in, in spine in um, healthcare is the mess that we have in the area of spine. That where you have the the, the other um, uh, term I use is the wild wild west, where <laughs> it's just open game, and you just you can go into this, the the healthcare world and call yourself a spine doctor and do anything you want, and if you have uh, enough. Um, um, uh, you know, uh, authority, if you will, or enough, uh, you know, or a good marketing strategy, or um, just the the position in your community that uh, it brings you respect automatically. You can do whatever you want and say whatever you want, and uh, that that's the kind of situation we have in spine. That you know, again, when you look at say um, uh, the, uh, the area of diabetes or the area of um, of cancer. You don't have people, you know, practitioners just going into that field and saying, well, I think I'll be a, a, a cancer practitioner and I'll just do what I think, you know, what I want to do, what I get p- paid to do well. Uh, yeah. It doesn't happen. It only happens in spine. Yeah, so, no, that's a, that's a complete ringer dinger of a comment right there. It's totally true. You can do whatever you want. That's the, that's the problem, right? It's the blessing of chiropractic that you get this diploma and, and it's like uh, choose your own adventure as soon as you get out. And it's also the curse. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to bring some kind of order to this chaos. And that's what that has um, developed into the PSP movement. But in, in my um, consulting work, uh, it's moved beyond that and, and, and gone beyond just the PSP movement. But the uh, bringing order to chaos of spine care as a whole by um, bringing a, an integrated uh, organized pathway to spine care, uh, where you can bring high value uh, organization and a structure that is evidence based. And 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 the, the the shocking thing about the spine care is uh, this this approach that that I'm championing uh, puts the patient first, and right. that's a that's a new that's a new concept in spine that, that's never been done before. Putting the patient first. I'm being facetious there, but basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. It's uh, when, it, when we talk about the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance itself, which is, is um, a moderate size group of, of chiropractors and students. I think there's 6,500 in the group. Um, that is our primary mission is patient-centered care. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's a language that's been permeating in a bunch of different uh, spheres in the profession. And I think this movement, the primary spine practitioner movement puts a, a name on it and tells it, let's go in this specific direction. And I like that. Um, how, how does the, the crisp protocols themselves differ from the primary spine practitioner program, uh, itself? 
or, or how you would train people to, you know, there's the book and then there's training people how to utilize the approach. Do they differ in any way? They, um, they meld together. Okay. So the, the CRISP protocols is the means by which the primary spine practitioner can utilize sound evidence-based clinical reasoning to make decisions with individual patients. So the, the literature doesn't really tell us, the literature tells us a lot, but there's a lot the literature does not tell us. And specifically what the literature does not tell us is uh, how do I approach this patient who's sitting in front of me right now? And so the CRISP protocol was de developed to, uh, pro to, to provide practitioners with a clinical reasoning, a sound clinical reasoning process by which we can make decisions with individual patients considering all of the different factors that can contribute to the pain, disability, and suffering experience that a pain patient is, is uh, experiencing. And so, uh, you know, everybody has talked about and heard about and read about and written about the biopsychosocial model. Right. And I, when I first learned about that, learned of it, I got excited about it, but I, I discovered that most of the time when you see it or hear it, you, nobody ever defines it. Okay, what, is, what does that actually mean? What are the biological factors? What are the psychological factors? What are the social factors? How do they fit together into what we call the biopsychosocial model? So it became a, a kind of a fancy term and a popular term, but uh, I, 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 needed, I, need, I knew that we needed to move beyond that and find out, okay, what is that? And that's what uh, culminated into the, 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 the CRISP protocols is finding out the specifics of what we knew about those, those uh, components of the biopsychosocial model and how it works all together and how we can take that information, take what, take what we know, about the biopsychosocial components that cause our patients to suffer, and how can we organize that into a, a cohesive, organized process by which we can then figure out how can I best help this patient and do it in a really busy clinical environment. So, so that's what the CRISP protocols are for. Would so you the, say, the, the, no, go ahead, go ahead, please, go ahead. The PSP movement is beyond that, and that is the PSP movement is playing a new innovative role in the healthcare system. So, so uh, in my mind, to be an effective, high-quality primary spine practitioner is really, really helpful, and I would say necessary to re be really good at CRISP. But that doesn't uh, th that's that's essential, but it's not sufficient uh, because what the primary spine practitioner is charged to, to, for doing is uh, um, taking a, an organized approach to managing the situation. So that means uh, not only being able to, um, to diagnose and, and, and manage the patient, but also make clinical decisions as to what they need uh, at any certain time and work within the, in, as the hub of the wheel of a team that um, wherein the, the primary spine practitioner makes decisions as to who does they, this person need to see when. In most cases, in most patients, the, the primary spine practitioner can manage the patient without the need for referral, but there's a very, uh, a relatively small, but very important population that needs other members of the, of the system. And who is that that this person needs and when 
and be able to uh, um, help the patient find that person that they need and follow up with them after to see, okay, how are you doing? Where are you at now? Where do we need to go from there? And uh, so the, the team that I'm a part of, uh, we have a company called Spiker Partners, and uh, we've developed a, a, an integrated pathway by which this, uh, the, the primary spine practitioner serves as the, the hub of the wheel, um, but the entire pathway is what um, manages a population of, of patients, not just the primary spine practitioner. So having the clinical skills and the knowledge are certainly necessary to be a PSP, but they're not sufficient. How long, from a time frame standpoint, how long has the movement itself been enacted? Well, the years, five years, four years. Yeah, the movement as a movement um, really began some uh, was 2018 now, seven, eight years ago, okay. when we were first uh, developing the, the original paper. And at the same time as we were doing that, we were developing the, um, the uh, integrated spine care pathway. And so, uh, and, and around that same time, while we were uh, finish, putting, putting the finishing touches on writing the paper, uh, Dr. Haldeman's uh, biography came out where he wrote a chapter that uh, also uh, defined the primary spine practitioner, what we're calling a primary spine practitioner now. Um, and so, you know, that all was happening about seven, eight years ago. That's when this really, again, this, this, this started happening. Primary spine practitioner activities really started for me 25 years ago, at least. Um, but this would, they, they, it, an evolution started back then and it became uh, identified and codified as a primary spine practitioner movement about seven or eight years ago, nine years ago. It's it's an excellent idea. It's I have one. I, I can identify an immediate hurdle. So it's a great idea. Uh, I, I it's very, uh, you know, if you are chirocentric or physiotherapy centric, there's no reason why you couldn't get behind this and say this is an amazing idea from a self-serving standpoint, and also from a standpoint that it's the right thing to do and the best thing for people. There's one hurdle that I see immediately jumping out in my face. What kind of inroads have you made with the people who do have the power, the medical, uh, I don't know if you want to call them establishment, but the gatekeepers who would decide to allow a primary spine practitioner to be an actual primary spine practitioner and work this system as it's uh, envisioned, where the primary, where the PSP controls the flow of somebody with a primary spinal complaint? What kind of inroads have you guys seen or made there? Yeah, and that, that is the challenge because, um, you know, whenever you come up with a new innovative idea, um, you know, what, is the, what does the world do there at the very beginning? They resist it. Oh, yeah. Right? They might even call you names. Or at least in my case, they've called me a couple names. Yeah, every innovative uh, program that has revolutionized a portion of society has started out being actively and vehemently opposed. That's what, that's how it always happens. And if we, you know, if we weren't being actively and vehemently opposed, I was wondering if we're really doing the right thing yeah, <laughs> because right. You know, the world doesn't recognize a, 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 a beneficial um, idea that, that really helps people. The world doesn't recognize that right away. And so that, that's a very common um, uh, 
obstacle that that needs to be overcome. I, I have seen it firsthand that this can be overcome. And again, with the you know, the, I'll go back to the the company that I work with, Spiker Partners. Uh, that's basically what we're uh, doing is is um, uh, going out there and um, helping people to see the value of the, the primary spine practitioner movement and integrated spine pro programs. And uh, and we and we've seen uh, we've run into a number of different um, uh, entities that couldn't do it, wouldn't do it, didn't want to do it. And we've but we've run into people who do. And we've seen the the um, the integrated uh, spine pathway work very well in certain environments. The first place where we um, implemented it is in a uh, hospital in Plymouth, Massachusetts, where. Um, they saw, they, they were visionaries at the hospital that saw uh, the, the potential value of it, um, and the, we ended up developing the, the pathway, and, and it, it's still running there, and it was very successful. It's been very successful. And so we're doing the same thing in a, a, um, uh, a Blue Cross Blue Shield environment in upstate New York, and there are several other places where we've, we've gotten it started. As a matter of fact, that's how I got the position that I held um, at the um, the hospital system here in Rhode Island. Was that um, there was a visionary that that's that, that came to me and said, "This is what we need to do. This is really important. It's really valuable, and we need to do it." And so, uh, you know, put together the the pathway, put all the, the pieces in place, and uh, got it up and running. Again, the the unfortunate part is that the um, you know the the financial situation was what it was, and they weren't able to, to sustain it, uh, which was really um, a a lesson because uh, yeah, you know yeah. this it has to be applied in a in a an environment in which the value system the value approach uh, is is embraced and can be um, can be sustained. And well, can no, that's very cute and. Uh professional language doc but that was my next question hey man does the psp model make these hospitals or these clinics money yeah. are they gonna are they profitable yep and so so it, it, it all depends on whom you're speaking to yeah so what we're what we're really um having our most uh substantive conversations with now are organizations and people and systems that really uh, benefit from a high value approach. And if it's a system or a, a practice or a group that is uh, completely invested in the uh, low value approach to making a lot of money, you're dead in the water. It's yeah. just not work. Uh, we're anticipating, and uh, there's no guarantees in life, but we're anticipating that the healthcare system will continue its um, trajectory in the direction of value. And, um, and, and as that further um, becomes a, a, a reality and more widespread, that's when we know that, boy, high, high value spine care is really gonna be needed and highly valued. In, in cases where it's not, um monetarily value oriented like say world spine care in in a lot of the missions like that that are that are based not in, in a different value system does the psp movement have value there as well so world spine care with dr haldeman as well 
can you take this into a foreign country you know, to, to, to say like general platitudes that doesn't have uh, adequate financial means to, to pay a, a whole program? Can you incorporate this in say a, a third world country and, and see benefit there as well? I, I just threw you a softball there, but yeah, yeah, no, it's, fine. it's, yeah, not, it's not all about the money is what I'm trying to say, but we need some, we need to show that this program can make money as well. Yes. Well, so what we can talk about world's fine care, because that's a, uh, an environment in which uh, not only can the PSP uh, movement work, it is working. That's where uh, basically primary spine care is the, um, the main focus of, of world's fine care. And, I, uh, so I told you I was throwing you a softball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there were several um, people that were hand trained by me in, in the PSP uh, approach um, that uh, have been there and, and are there. And uh, and 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 that, you know the nice thing about that is that it's an environment in which you're bringing high quality spine care to an area that is uh, completely um, you know doesn't have any medical care at all. Yeah. And so you can, you know, from ground, from ground one, um, create what it is that people need without having the um, obstacles that the rest of us in, in the first world uh, have to deal with. You know, uh, being in a, a, um, a relatively poor environment actually uh, doesn't have a lot of those obstacles that we deal with every day. They, have, they certainly have their other challenges um, but they don't have the um, the big money making uh, machine that we uh, are faced with here. That is that can be overcome, but it ha- it has its challenges. Yeah, it's you're, you're definitely eating an elephant, and you have to do that one bite at a time. So it's it's a it's an, a daunting challenge, but obviously we've got to give you a lot of praise for taking it on. It's a it's a calling, yes, no doubt. Um, yeah. I have a question about the crisp protocols or the books themselves, the volumes, because here's what I do. Sometimes I'll have a patient uh, who might need to understand why I'm using a certain approach or whatnot. And I will literally pull out volume one, the blue book uh, for their low back. And I will say, I am using the protocols that are outlined in this text to help you with your X, Y, and Z. And it's very evidence-based and it's an approach that is strategic and structured. So we're using a system for you to help you. They go, okay. So you're, you're using something. Some patients seem to like that you're coming from somewhere and not just making it up whole cloth. And then uh, I'll get a cervical spine complaint, maybe the same patient even, and I'll pull out the red book and I'll say, now this book is, look at the, look at the blue book on the cover. It says an evidence-based approach. Look at the red book on the cover and it says case study. The, the cervical spine is different. It's a little more complicated, so this might take a little more time to unravel. In your, in your story, since you're the author of these texts, just I'm, I'm, playing, um, I'm playing the devil's advocate here. Why is one book an evidence-based study, and why is the other a case study approach? Um, okay, that's, that's deceiving, I guess. Um, they, they're both the same. So the okay. reason why the second book as the term uh, case studies is because it, it has two chapters that um, has case studies that helps the, um, the, the um, PSP the, or the, the, the uh, practitioner to understand how to apply the, um, the, the CRISP protocols in a, in a real patient environment. So uh, they're both an evidence-based 
um, guide. Um, but uh, the but again, I just when I was writing the second book, I said, you know, I think that that, that people would really benefit from a a series of cases of all different. Um, practitioner situations, all different uh, environments and um, and situations, and uh, how to go through the the process of applying CRISP and applying that uh, clinical reasoning process and and going through the thinking process behind CRISP uh, in a in a real uh, clinical environment. They so would. that's the only why those those terms are 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 different on the cover of the uh, book. Uh, not because one's a, an evidence-based approach and the other isn't. It's just because uh, the second book has the, the case studies in chapters 9 and 10. Yeah, and they would. It, it's a valuable exercise. in, in um, playing that devil's advocate there, the purpose of that was that there seems to be a, a belief or a, a, a way that's talked around, around the campfire that the cervical spine is not as well understood or evidence-based as the lumbar spine, that the, the, the research isn't as robust for manual treatments or therapeutic approaches to the cervical spine. Do you have anything to say to that direction? I, I, tend, to not, I tend to disagree with that. Um, yeah. No, I think that, I mean, they're certainly uh, different and, uh, you know, what a, Applies to the lumbar spine, uh, you know, it can't, it can't be assumed that the same thought process and evidence uh, can be applied to the cervical spine. Uh, but there's, you know, to me, there's a robust uh, literature in, in the cervical spine that, uh, you know, certainly there are certain areas that are stronger than others in terms of the evidence-based, but, you know, what, what, what really allowed me to write this paper um, was that uh, there's a lot we don't know about the spine that we need to, to, to you know, further understand, but there's certainly enough that you don't really need to deviate very far from the evidence uh, because there's, we have a lot of evidence that helps us to help patients. Um, you know, of course, every time we think that we've got, you know, we've got it down pat, uh, you know, somebody, a patient comes in who throws us a curveball, but <laughs> by and large, you know, we, there, there's enough out there that helps us to manage the majority of patients. The challenge that I realize that clinicians have is, yeah, there's, there's a lot of information out there, but it's all over the place. And because it's a biopsychosocial uh, phenomenon, uh, the, the, the evidence that's out there is in all different fields. And it's it, 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 how do we make sense of all of that stuff and put it together into a uh, concise approach that allows us to, to apply this evidence in a, in, a, in a busy clinical environment? That is exactly the reason why I wrote those books. Um, when it comes to the, the program itself, the attendees, um, how do I put this in a way that sort of is compelling to other people? What does an attendee of the, of the PSP program at UPIT, what do they go through? What do they experience? What's it like for them? Uh, oh, oh, it's hell. It's pure hell. <laughs> It's like Marine boot camp. It's like BUDS. It's the Navy SEAL of, of chiropractic training. 
Yeah, well, it's um, it's uh, it's open to, to physical therapists and chiropractors, but it's it's it, it requires uh, prerequisites. That people have to have a uh, a background of uh, of knowledge and skill that, um, that to be accepted into the program at the University of Pittsburgh. And you know, I, I can I can talk about the program as it applies to the University of Pittsburgh, but I always have to throw in the caveat that I am uh, I'm. And the kind of the lead author, and I've um, uh, been um, the for, uh, the uh, for the um, leader or the of the, the architect of the program. But I'm not. Um, I don't represent the University of Pittsburgh. Yeah, we don't want to talk a, about. Yeah, we don't want to talk the university or the the, the university experience, but the the experience of the program itself. Yeah, so I can talk about the program itself, and it, it is uh, basically taking. Uh, all of the knowledge and skills that are needed to function as a high-level um, PSP and put that together into a, uh, a cohesive approach, an organized approach, by which if somebody, if somebody goes out in the world and they say, I'm a PSP, and they back it up with a formal uh, certification process, that has meaning in the healthcare system. That has meaning uh, to the, the the people who are involved in the spine care world. That, that's what it's designed for. And so, you know, we had to sit down and, and and talk about okay, what are the key things that people need to know and need to be able to do to do uh, to function as a PSP. And so, um, th that's what what culminated into the, uh, the PSP program and uh, the, the training program. And so it, in, 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 it entails CRISP, uh, although to, it, it entails the application of CRISP, but it's expected that, again, people who come into the, uh, the uh, program have a certain amount of skills. You, you, have, to, you have to know manipulation. We're not going to do manipulation 101, 102, and 103. Uh, you need to have, have experience and trained in, in manipulation and in, in certain other things as well. Not that, not that it's all about manipulation. Manipulation is a very useful tool, but it's only one of many, many, many tools that you need to have in your toolbox. Um, so, but, it, but it's not something that can be taught to a novice from day one in a PSP program. This is a, this is a high level program. And so, um, so, but it's teaching people how to apply, not only, not only gain uh, and augment their existing, I'm going to back up for a second, not only augmenting their existing knowledge and experience, gain new knowledge and, and, uh, and skills, rather, uh, gain new knowledge and skills, and then on top of that, uh, how to apply the, that knowledge and those skills in a new, innovative uh, practitioner type in the healthcare system, the primary spine practitioner. And so, and, and then the other thing I got, I'm involved in is the, um, the, the, the PSP um, uh, organization, um, the, the, the network, the primary spine practitioner network uh, that is designed to help those people take the next step. And that is uh, find a, an opportunity, find opportunities out there in the, in the world of healthcare uh, where they can, function in that new innovative role and to um, to uh, add to their their level of knowledge and skills in terms of clinical excellence and uh, success how to be successful in this 
uh, environment um, once I've, I've uh, obtained the knowledge and skills I need. Have you have have any uh, cohorts completed the cycle yet? You have some practitioners out and about. Yeah, yeah, we have one. Uh, the initial cohort was, uh, I think, sixty people, and so they uh, uh, um, got when you know, got through. They made it through the program and got certified, and uh, so they're out there. Nobody the rang world. the bell. They didn't quit right there on the beach. A couple of people dropped, I think, but uh, by and large, they got through it and they somehow survived, and and, and I somehow survived. Um, so. <laughs> survive together and uh and so they're out there and um functioning as as psps and a lot of them a number of them are functioning at fairly high levels uh as psps and others are kind of trying to find their way in the in the system and it's, everybody's at a different level and and this is a new innovative um role and uh, you know as i said before that you know we're in we're in a situation where we're we're, we're bringing this new innovative approach to spine care that's never been done before. And so, uh, you know, you can go out there into the healthcare world and say, what, what the, the world needs, uh, the healthcare system needs is primary spine practitioners. And even if you convince people, yeah, that's right, you're right, we need primary spine practitioners. So where do we find them? Well, well there aren't any yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, so, so then the other way is you can train people to function as primary spine practitioners, okay? And you train them, and then they say, okay, well, where, where can I get a job? Well, there aren't any jobs yet. Yeah, you have to make uh, one. So, so that's why what, we, what I, just, I and we decided to do was do this as a, a, a two-pronged approach. Uh, on the one side, we're, de we're um, uh, developing the uh, movement from the sy systemic standpoint of, of creating that in those opportunities in the healthcare system while at the same time preparing practitioners to jump into that role and again whenever whenever you're 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 uh, developing a new innovative process it's challenging in the beginning uh, it has its challenges and it has its its obstacles uh, but if you really are passionate and you really have the vision that are necessary to make this real and make this work and uh, revolutionize a portion of, of society, it, it, it's the most fun you can possibly have. Absolutely. The, the, the PSP network itself, does it offer any services for people who are not uh, graduates of the PSP program? Yes, the PSPN is designed for anybody who's passionate about the, the primary spine practitioner movement. And so you don't have to have graduated in order to, to be a member of the PSPN. It's for anybody, anybody who's interested. And uh, if you want to, you know, develop the, the, um, the, the, um, uh, the uh, practical uh, side of things, you, you don't have to already be involved, involved in the program. Start, start from day one. And, and this is, again, this is a, evolutionary process by which we're you know like I said before you can't just change the world and then and then start working on people who can uh, serve service the new world you can't just have a, to develop these people to service the new world but there is no world so right. you have to do them both at the same time and that's what the PSPN is, is designed for is to create a, a community 
of primary spine practitioners, even if they're not really bona fide primary spine practitioners yet, developing the community and uh, and developing from the primary spine, uh, the, the spine care partners standpoint, our other company, to develop the movement in the healthcare system to, to create those, um, those um, practical and uh, business opportunities while at the same time we're training the practitioners to go out there and to really be able to be to, to say I am a bona fide certified very well defined and well trained primary spine practitioner that's the multi-pronged approach that we're taking no it's a beautiful approach it's uh, it's definitely whoever developed it we don't want to give you full credit but we'll just give you full credit anyways but whoever developed it definitely understands that concept that you mentioned of uh, building order out of chaos you, know, you you do have to sort of make your own bed. You have to make sure that you are in control of your own life first, and then you can expand out and, and change lives around that. And, and I, I, I know you guys see the, the challenge of having a program that already from the chiropractic point of view, uh, the availability meets, exceeds the demand. <laughs> yes. So is there any, I know there are conversations, but is there anything on the horizon for expanding the availability of willing and uh, eligible chiropractors to pursue the PSP uh, certification or program itself beyond what is available right now? Yes, and that's, that's what we're working on now, and we're at various levels of, of uh, advancement with it, but, and, and there we're at a point where I can talk in specifics about it, but, um, but there are yeah. uh, very um, uh, keen conversations going on about expanding the PSP program uh, to other environments and uh, to open it up to as many practitioners as we possibly can, because that's what's needed. Um, and it, but, but, you know, these kinds of things don't happen overnight. And, you know, oh, sure. I, I I want this to be a real bona fide primary spine practitioner type of, 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 of practitioner type in the healthcare system. And I want it to be widespread and I want that all to happen tomorrow. When I started the forward thinking chiropractic Alliance, I, I wanted it to be very evidence-based chiropractor centric. We have a, a, a map on our website where you can make referrals to other like-minded evidence-based chiros. And then I did an interview with uh, the, the social media superstar Z-Dog MD. And he said, I love your map idea. How do you vet people? I know you want as many people on your map as possible to fill the map up, but how do you make sure they're the right people? I said, oh, you're right. Got to go back to the drawing board. <laughs> We're thinking of putting anyone who's got a PSP certification on our map with a special star, like a gold star, to really have them stand out. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah, how we're going to help you out. <laughs> um, this is awesome. You know, I, obviously it's part no-brainer. There's, it's a no-brain approach that this is the way to go. Um, I think from my personal advice to you all is to let the, the average peon chiropractor know how that they can participate. They don't have to be in the program that might only let in 30 people every now and again. Uh, so the PSPN and getting the word out about the network and how people can have access to the information and take part, even though they can't fully take part. For instance, me, I'd probably be a great candidate for the program. I have the passion and the skill set for it, but I also have five kids and I'm also out here on the West Coast, you know, so it's not going to happen 
for me, but I fully support the network. Yeah. Um, so that's a great, great approach. Yeah. Um, well, we'll we'll bring the program to you, and and given the fact that you have the five kids, we can maybe we can set the the course up in your house. We can have it in. <laughs> And uh, we, oh, yeah, some you know, people I just live in my mom's basement. It's just me and my keyboard <laughs> to, to some people. But um, yeah, the, the demand is high. And uh, if you brought it to me, if you brought it to everybody, that'd be easy. <laughs> but I do know that you've got some West Coasters that are flying out. So the passion's there. It's not just that it's a good program. It's not just that A, B, or C, the price is right or it's self-serving. It, it's not self-serving. It, it serves the community from a patient centered standpoint as a whole. And that's, that's amazing. That's what we need to get behind. Um, and, and it's approachable. Now, is there any from once again, the chiropractic podcast. So from a Cairo centric point of view, how have the chiropractic colleges sort of interacted? Have they had any play or say in this process? My theory, and it's just my personal opinion when I speak on college campuses and the students don't, know about the crisp book specifically I, I go a little bit tinfoil hat and say maybe these schools are hiding this because they have to teach all of it because when i open that crisp book it's everything i learned in school yeah um well you know the um if, if you if you learned everything in in crisp in school you must have gone to a very advanced institution. i went to the harvard of chiropractic colleges i'll tell you that much right now <laughs> which, school, which school is that uh, I went to University of Western States. Okay, all right. So, um, you know, the, the the there are some schools that are really passionate about embracing this approach, and they recognize where they're at and uh, where they need to go, and others that uh, don't don't get it at all and actively resist it. So, uh, but you know, it uh, what what I. You know, I, I've, I've spoken to, to several chiropractic colleges as well, and, and people ask me, um, you know, they, when they go out there and talk about the PSP movement and they, um, they say, what do, I, what do I do? What do I say to people when I encounter resistance uh, in the chiropractic profession to the PSP movement? Because the, the most common uh, resistance, the most common reason for resistance is that uh, it's too limiting. I don't want to be uh, limited. Yeah, and that's um, the argument yeah. of the day. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. And the first thing I say to them say is, well, you know, let's see, 10% of the people, uh, the population see chiropractors and 100% have uh, back pain, neck pain and headaches. Okay, let's do the math and find out which is limiting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but the other thing that, you know, where, where I've come to with saying people is that if somebody resists it, that's fine. I don't care. If somebody, when somebody resists it to me and tells me it's limited, that's, that's your opinion, and I'm I'm totally cool with it. Really, it's 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 perfectly fine. Uh, I don't need chiropractic. I need chiropractors, yeah, and that's absolutely. what it comes down to. As far as the the or you know any organization, because I was certainly with state associations, I got the most uh, vehement um, uh, opposition. Not the uh, uh, ACA, the American Chiropractic Association, is actively embracing it, but but uh, there, are, there are other pockets of resistance, and it's totally cool. You want to resist it? That's I'm totally cool with it. Really, uh, all I need is is a group, a cadre of really passionate chiropractors and physical therapists, or anybody else that has the the knowledge and skills, who is who's really passionate about playing this new innovative ro role in the healthcare system. And let's go, and let's move in this in this direction. If you're not, 
passionate about it, that's cool. Just do whatever you what you want to do. That's I'm totally cool with it. Yeah, and the, the leaders and the passion will set the pace there. I always uh, we have a, a slogan in our group. It's um, the because the, the old time chiropractic was sort of about the sacred trust, right? It was like uh, I think B.J. Palmer said something on his deathbed that said, "Don't don't betray the sacred trust." And our our saying is the the patient trust is greater than the sacred trust. So that's what we do in our group. I like it. And. Um, and yeah, we, we've evolved over time. I think our group specifically was sort of anti-old model chiropractic, like pretty hardcore anti-old model. And I think we're evolving into the, uh, you, you guys don't speak for us anymore sort of approach. We're, mm. we're passionate about what we do and we're going to create our own leaders and we're going to support the programs that support our vision and we're going to go in that direction. Mm. And, and uh, this, this here, the, the PSP program and the movement itself and the network and all that, that is, there's no, we should throw as much support behind this as we can because there, and my bigger problem right now is the people who reinvent the wheel. This wasn't a reinvented wheel from anywhere. This is original and unique. And I don't want someone to come along and say, well, I, I want to reinvent the PSP wheel. Let's throw everything we got behind this. And I think we can get somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've looked through this profession and, and seen the wheel reinvented. And then when you throw in your comment, you, you didn't have commentary, but you hinted at commentary about working with state, state associations and, and you don't even want to get me started. Um, <laughs> it's like in, in the United States, that's 50 or 51 or so reinvented wheels over and over again, you know? Yeah. And you know, the, the other thing, and, and uh, I'm not, I'm not knocking state associations per se, but they just but have a different job to do, man. It's not easy for them either. They have to represent all of their members and yeah. all of their members. They have all different uh, viewpoints and approaches and well, I, I wouldn't want to enter that fray at all. So that's why I decided, <laughs> you know, this is a movement and anybody who's passionate about the movement, jump on board and let's go. And if you're not, that's cool. I'm, I'm not going to oppose you. And, you know, if you want to oppose me, that's fine. It's your business. But I'm yeah. certainly not going to oppose anybody else. Yeah, I'm drawing that line on the line of ethics or uh, uh, legalities and fraud. That's, that's our line. Like if you're, you can basically do whatever you want. You're probably not harming patients as long as you're ethical, legal, and all those sort of things uh, following the laws. So everyone's got a different approach. Um, and some approaches are better than others. I, the other day I was thinking about it, sort of like watching basketball players play basketball, or maybe uh, since you're an East Coaster, um, New Yorker, Yankees, or are you going old school Dodgers? Well, I, I grew up in New York, and I now live in New England, so... Um, oh, you. So I'm a Dodger fan. This is not good. We should probably end this podcast right well, now. Well, I'm not a Red Sox fan. I'm a Yankees fan, and I'm a, a Patriots fan. That's how okay. it works. Okay, we can do this. We can do this. We can do this. You've, you've got a lot of victories going on there. But, you know, you see a baseball player that is just unorthodox, and you're like, that doesn't work. That's not going to work, but it works. Yeah. You know, and I think there are some practitioners that might not be doing the most perfect thing in the entire world according to our lofty standards, but they're probably for the most part doing good things for people. And they might also be on a journey where they're learning things as they go, and they could eventually ascend to sort of this PSP style as they learn as they learn certain things don't fit for them. Yeah. And, and I've, I've caught some flack for that because I used to be pretty hardcore, anti, um, 
old school chiropractic. And I don't think I've softened my view. I think my view is just a little more philosophical now as far as understanding that we're all on a different life journey here and you've got to sort of honor all that and, and build up the good things and just sort of ignore the bad things in the process. Yeah, and the, the other thing about the primary spine practitioner movement in light of that is that uh, the primary spine practitioner movement creates an identity. Uh, so if you, if you are a you know, bona fide, certified, recognized primary spine practitioner, you are, that, that defines you, what you have to offer the, the, the uh, people, the public. Uh, if, that, that defines you in, in terms of what you do, do for a living. And, a USP, uh, a unique sales position, right? Exactly. And, and so if anybody says, well, I, I saw this chiropractor that did this, this crazy thing and that crazy thing, oh, well, that, that's, that's not what I do. I'm, I'm a primary spine practitioner. So you're, you, you, you um, distinguish yourself from all the other stuff. So whatever crazy stuff is going on out there, it, you're independent of that. That's the nice thing about it. And still conservative and holistic and all the stuff that would qualify as a chiropractor. You know, you're using your mind, your hands, and your body to make people feel better and all that stuff. Not, not uh, you know, some people would uh, take offense if you were taking the medical route and none of that seems to be happening in the PSP model. It's the, it, it's the patient route. um from from your point of view what kind of feedback have you heard from the physiotherapists the pts that that uh participate in the program what are they getting out of it uh my my um input from them is they love it and they see the vision and they see the value and um they uh you know the, the the challenges for them are overlapped but but different than the, the for the chiropractors um, but that's okay um, uh, and what we want to do is create an uh, environment in which there's there's just a primary spine practitioner wherever you started wherever you came from to get to this point is fine but this is where you are you're a primary spine practitioner and so but that's that's going to take some time and some work and 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 effort and um, changing minds and open open minds but uh, the the PSP, the, um, the the physical therapists, uh, by and large, really see the value in playing this new role. And you know, some people, the, you know, the really interesting thing uh, that I get. Um, this is more from the from chiropractors than from physical therapists. We were talking earlier about the obstacles that we uh, can sometimes confront. Uh, that um, that uh, uh, sometimes with physical therapists, but a lot, uh, more frequently from, with chiropractors, will say when when I talk about the primary spine practitioner movement, they'll say, "Well, that's I already am a primary spine practitioner. I always <laughs> I already do." And but once they learn, especially if they attend the course and they find out what is entailed in a primary spine practitioner training program, they realize, "Wow." I'm definitely not a primary spine practitioner. I have the skills and knowledge to become it and I can be an excellent one, but I'm not there now. And yeah. the, the people really realize it once they get there, once they really uh, are able to dig into what is really entailed in being a PSP, uh, they realize that they're, they're not there and, and, they, and, they, and, and uh, chiropractic school and physical therapy school did not give you the, all the skills that are needed to function as a PSP. They gave you a good, the good basic skills that can be augmented into a PSP, uh, but they, they, you haven't been trained to be a PSP. You, you just, it just has not happened. 
Yeah, and I I, I need to make that uh, clarification for the record so no one jumps on me. I think that my college taught me all of the things inside the crisp books, or at least a large portion, and I probably picked up more things on my own along the way. But they did not teach me to become a primary spine practitioner. I am not. I I, I don't even, yeah. So just to clarify that. So people mm-hmm. go like, that guy's saying he's a PSP. No, I'm saying that I, I received the lion's share of the education that I saw as I read through the Chris books. I knew all that stuff already. However, it was wonderful to see it all encapsulated into two texts. At Western States, we had these texts that were created by a fellow student where he encapsulated all the stuff we had learned through chiropractic college that was clinically significant, and they were awesome little books that he sort of sold out of the trunk of his car. (laughs) But it was not the Chris Protocols book, and it wasn't set up in a protocol fashion like that, but uh, the information was there. So that's my... That's my asterisk on this interview. Um, do you get to do you get to discuss any of these topics? Does it are you enabled to bring this stuff up in your uh, clinical assistant professor position at Brown University? Yes, yes, um, uh, regularly. I um, I attend um, spine care spine conference every Monday morning at the neurosurgery department. And um, I, my main teaching is uh, in the general internal medicine and, and family medicine department. So I, I, I um, speak to a lot of um, uh, medical residents, uh, primary care tra- in, in primary care practitioners in training, as well as uh, neurosurgeons and orthopedic surgeons. Uh, and so I, I get to interact, and um, it's really uh, interesting because. Uh, by and large, especially the primary care environment, they really get the, the PSP, and it's a, it's a, it's it's immediately very popular you know, right. because they they see the value and they they see the benefit of uh, having a, a a bona fide PSP in the healthcare system. Um, uh, people in the area of uh, certainly you know the the, the the spine surgeons that I know, they also see the value, but there's depends on who you speak to because some of them see have a little bit of resistance about it. Others are very, very open and enthusiastic about it. It depends on the individual. Uh, no, I can totally so see that. Yeah, yeah. So it's really been a uh, a, a an interesting and uh, motivating experience for me, and um, it, it's great to be able to have that. <clears throat> that part in the in the healthcare system that you can just you know this is my job this is my role this is what i do and anybody who who, who wants to um uh, object to it or have a problem that's fine it's your business not mine um it, but you don't have to defend yourself uh you can just say this is what i do this is what i am and this is this is my my skill set my what i have to offer people and uh and and that's where you are and that's a that's a lot more effective way to communicate because then you can get right to the level of okay this is this is how we can help patients and uh and that's where it, you know my interaction with uh the, the the physicians especially has really been beneficial and and has been by and large mostly enthusiastic uh because we, we can get right to okay how do how, how do we really do do right by patients Absolutely. You're, you're basically in, in that one small area of the school that you work with, you're putting the ball on the tee for the practitioners that would be in the region of where those physicians might practice. 
Now the, the field physicians just have to do the right job by taking care of the patient as you would have said to those medical doctors, this is how we can help people. The physician has to do that, connect the dots, complete the circuit, and we've got some good things going for patients. Um, yeah, and one of the, you know, and the, 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 uh, the most challenging area that I've had a conversation in, in this regard is um, I've, I've uh, spoken at several medical schools and uh, neurology departments. Uh, at their grand, I've given a grand rounds, a grand rounds presentation at the neurology department in several medical schools on the topic of, of cervical manipulation and stroke. Uh-huh. If you can survive that, giving that topic uh, to a group of neurologists, you can survive anything. And so I've, <laughs> I've given that presentation several times at, uh, again, at Neurology Grand Rounds, and uh, it's been really interesting, entertaining, enjoyable, and fun. And uh, the, you've gotten, you know, as, as expected, you get all different uh, feedback and viewpoints and, and very strong uh, opposition and uh, open-mindedness. You get a lot of different things. Um, and but this, that's been the most one of the most fun things I've I've done in my career is what helped uh, you in those conversations? What, was it uh, was it rational, factual uh, evidence, or was it appealing to emotions? Um, it's really interesting because um, it, well, I'll say first that it, that evidence is what wins the day, and uh, um, you know. You, Neurologists are generally everybody's different, and I don't like to label people. But uh, neurologists are generally you know, kind of linear thinking, and they they really respond to evidence uh, fairly well. But even neurologists sometimes can get get pretty um, emotional about certain topics, and one of them is is uh, is the the topic of, of cervical manipulation and stroke. And so uh, it, you know that's where. It's been a really interesting uh, process, but you know the, the the approach I took was this is this is the information. I'm just on the team here, and I'm just trying. I'm help, helping patients, so I never once got defensive about anything that anything that anybody said in any of those those presentations. I was just there to share information, and um, you know my job is to help people and uh, and and to you know and to teach. Um, whoever it is that, that might benefit from what I have to talk, to talk about. And, uh, and so completely letting go of any defensiveness that I may bring uh, and, and, uh, and, and just uh, approach it as another pro one professional to another. And that's really been the, the benefit in, in my mind. I know some of the listeners here will want to know, so I'll have to ask, was there any sort of nugget of evidence that you like to to use to teach uh, that concept, the concept of cervical manipulation and stroke and the evidence. Is there any, any sort of nugget that you like over another? Any sort of paper or reference? Well, I, I, it, it comes out of a very large body of literature because I, I talk about you know, what, you know, the, the, what it is in the area of stroke that is um, uh, statistically uh, connected with cervical uh, manipulation and, and it's specifically vertebral dissection. And right. so I, I define that to make sure that everybody, and not everybody really knows uh, you know, what that, what vertebral dissection is in distinction from all other uh, types of stroke. 
So it's very, very different from um, uh, atherosclerosis. It's, it's an entirely different pathophysiological process. It's different from aneurysm. It's different from VM, you know, a, 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 a AVM. It's, it's, it's a distinct type of uh, process in, a, in, a, in a, an artery that can lead to stroke. So I'd, I'd start there. And then I talk about how we came to understand the statistical relationship between cervical manipulation and stroke. And then I, I, I finish with the um, several, now it's four, four or five studies now that have all come to the same conclusion that um, cervical manipulation doesn't cause vertebral artery dissection. Vertebral artery dissection causes somebody to go to a chiropractor or their primary care doc or whoever it is that they want to ha help with their neck pain and headache. And so once the, that connection becomes clear, then you know people still. So there are certain people who still uh, oppose it, and they won't. They won't be open to, to evidence. But by and large, most of the people, and including this was one um, uh, head of the uh, neurology department right here at Brown when I gave Grand, Grand Brown's there, the head of the neurology department. His primary uh, area of, of research was was um, stroke. And uh, he was, you know, very, um, he, he was a Cairo hater, basically, yeah, um, sure. uh, very opposed to cervical manipulation. And when I gave that presentation, he said, hey, I have to, I have to say that the, the evidence is what the evidence is. And so, I, you know, you, you've opened my mind to something I didn't realize before. So, good for him or her. Yeah. Him. yeah. yeah. Good, good for them. And yeah. So, it, you know, you can open minds that are willing to be opened. That's powerful information. I'm, I'm going to start a petition. It's going to be a petition for Dr. Murphy to put that little piece of education that he has put on for other people onto some sort of video so we can all see it. Okay, good. I'm going to make sure there's such a demand you can't avoid doing it. Because <laughs> I know people love, I mean, the evidence-based uh, chiropractors love that stuff, which is good, which yeah. they should. And, and they, they, I don't think they want to win arguments. I think they want to be able to, to justify the efficacy and the safety of what they're doing and they need answers. And a lot of times the answers aren't there for them. The, the smoking gun, the silver bullet, whatever you want. When it comes to this stroke conversation, it would be great to have a way to have a very simple, factual, non-emotional conversation about the subject with other professionals and even with patients. Mm -hmm. um, so, so obviously you're onto something and uh, I'm going to ask you off the record how we can spread that word. <laughs> um, what, what do you have planned for the future? What, what's going on? Are there any things on the horizon for the PSPN that you can, you can announce? Are there any ways that you can announce people to get uh, connected like a mailing list, some webinars, things of that nature as we wrap up? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, you know, what, what my professional life is all about is the uh, PSP movement and in bringing uh, high value to spine care. Uh, and, and so um, the, the, the PSP training program, the implementation of uh, high value spine pathway and, um, and uh, helping professionals uh, be the best they can be. That's what it's all about. Um, and, the, you know, I'll, I'll say what I said before, and that is 
whenever you do something really big and really meaningful, it's a, a, a process that's slower than you want it to be. <laughs> and uh, yeah. doing something superficially and doing something, um, uh, for lack of a better term, half-assed, um, that's, that's it's easy to do that fast and make it, you know, get it out there really quickly. But if you're going to do something the right way, it's always slow and, and, and gradual, but that's the, that's the right way to do it. And so th this movement will, it is happening, it will continue to happen, but I would ask people to just have the, the patience um, to, to kind of, um, you know, uh, um, understand the, the, the gradual process that is going on. Um, certainly, you know, get involved with, you know, I encourage people to, to, to get involved in, in your, um, your group, uh, the, the PSPN, get involved with the PSPN, be part of the movement, because the more, uh, the more uh, uh, boots on the ground we have, the, 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 the more robust is the movement. No, that's perfect. I think that, that encapsulates a lot of the conversation. You know, I've, I have now with this podcast interviewed some very brilliant minds within our profession and some other professions and certain themes show up with each one of these individuals. And I'm definitely without a doubt classifying you as one of them. And that is they, they're agnostic in their approach. So, so they don't, they don't let biases sort of overwhelm their, their uh, practice. Two, they've learned not just from the practice itself or from the profession itself, but they've been multidisciplinary in their learnings. They've learned from multiple different disciplines. And three, they have an inquisitive mind where while they are practicing, they start noticing things. And it's either a gut feeling or an intuition that things just aren't right or they could be better or there's a better way to do this or there's some different way to do this. And they become innovators, which is number four. And they try to innovate new ways for this to happen. And I see that all within you and um, much respect to what you're doing. You, you have my full support, uh, an army of one, but I, I will constantly uh, toot the horn for the PSP network and the CRISP protocols and everything else that goes with it along the way, uh, because this is something that we should, if we're evidence-based practitioners, uh, throw as much energy as we can into. So thank you very much for, uh, for this time, for spending your time with us on the podcast and um, uh, it's legendary that I never know how to end these things, but, uh, but thank you. That's all I got to say. I'm, I'm, I, I'm truly grateful for what you've done and for you to take the, the leap to make something bigger than yourself happen. Great. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, this is, this has been a lot of fun and, and getting the word out there is, is what's so excited about uh, exciting about this whole thing. Yeah, and you've got you've got plenty of people within the PSP network and the PSP program within the group, and they'll spread the word as well for sure. Yes. Thank you, Dr. Murphy. Okay, thank you, Robbie. Okay, this is the pain zone finish. Dun dun dun. Hopefully, you enjoyed that podcast with Dr. Murphy. Uh, we uh, wish to extend our. Congratulations to any of the primary spine practitioner program uh, graduates, and we wish you luck. We're watching with bated breath to see what you do out there with your newfound education uh, and this new charge that's been handed down to you from the PSP program. Uh, before we get on to the pain zone finish, 
I want to say we also have another sponsor. The American Chiropractic Association is a proud sponsor of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance podcast. They just concluded NCLC, the National Chiropractic Legislative Conference for 2019. Prepare yourself. You have a whole year to prepare yourself to go to 2020. So get to a little piggy bank, start stuffing away some cash, and get ready to travel next year to Washington, D.C. to participate in NCLC, which is a great event. Pain Zone Finish, the uh, primary spine practitioner program, the CRISP protocols, cl- clinical reasoning and spine pain books themselves. I have said it over and over again. They are a must. They are a must read for an evidence-informed chiropractor uh, and anyone who works in musculoskeletal pain, particularly back pain and neck pain. Uh, It dismays me many often, and I think I've said this before, that I can mention these texts to a student, and the students don't even know what I'm talking about. These books should be required everywhere and anywhere and at all times if you are going to participate in this world of care. Um, That is all I got to say when it comes to this pain zone finish. When it comes to Pain Zone itself, make sure you check out ipainzone.com. Get some free Pain Zone samples. And I got a little little birdie told me that there's some new products coming out for Pain Zone soon. So you want to stay tuned for some interesting and fun new stuff coming from Pain Zone. Uh, That is it for this episode of Forward, the podcast of Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. We've got some good interviews coming up soon, so I hope you uh, keep us on your iTunes And also give me some feedback of some interesting guests you'd like to hear. You can send those requests for interesting guests that you would like to hear to forwardthinkingchiro at gmail.com. And I'll talk to you next time. Bye.